And I love that song. Um, there's a connection that I have to that song that I would love for you to have as well. Uh, we sing that song uh, at our Rooted Celebration, at the end of a 10-week experience as, um, as people share um, and as, as we get to see uh, people's journey. Uh, I won't say any more than that. I don't want to be a spoiler, but man, if you have not uh, participated in Rooted and had the opportunity to have a Rooted Celebration and, and see what God has done, um, I would really encourage you, just four Sundays from now, uh, September 20th, Four o'clock in the afternoon, we'll start our fall-rooted uh, session. And if you've never been, I would invite you to join us on a journey this fall uh, that will uh, really change your spiritual life. You can go to the website. Uh, there's a sign-up form available there. Uh, and join us for the journey starting September 20th. Well, hey, we're going to continue on in our uh, sermon journey uh, for the summer. Uh, in our scattered series, uh, we're in Acts chapter 8, the last half of the chapter, doing part two of the message that Christian started last Sunday, uh, going through the life of Philip, uh, and just seeing how God used Philip, how Philip was responsive to the call of God to move the Spirit in his life, uh, and really uh, was a part of taking the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. As we begin today, I uh, just wanted to share um, that a number of years ago, God took uh, Tani and I through a very Philip type of experience in our own lives. Um, it had been quite a year for us. Uh, in that year, we had really uh, come into a really beautiful season in youth ministry. Uh, I was a youth pastor at the time, uh, and uh, we had brought some, some change to some of the youth programming and the church that we were at, and, and that had had come to fruition and completion, and, and some really beautiful things were coming in a new season of, of youth ministry there. Uh, we had bought our first house and then moved in and settled into our first house. After a 10-year uh, struggle and battle through infertility, we had our first child at home. We had really come to a comfortable place. We both had good jobs. We had a great babysitter for our daughter. We had a supportive church and life was good and comfortable. Then that fall, um, a wrestling began in my spirit. And I shared that with Tanya. And, and she had had, uh, unbeknownst to me, come to uh, a wrestling as well. The wrestling was for us, I, th I think it's time to move on. Uh, things are good here. We're comfortable here. And I think... What God has called us to here in this place is finished. And we wrestled with that for a little bit. Then after the first of the year, unbeknownst um, to him, uh, my boss had been gone and came back and said, Hey, Craig, you know what? I just found out that, wow, you know, Mountain View's looking for, <laughs> Mountain View's looking for a youth pastor. He didn't know that these thoughts were going on in our lives. And, and man, I, I went home, we talked about that and wrestled through that. And then... Um, Something happened that doesn't happen to me very often. Um, I was awakened in the middle of the night with a very clear, very clear understanding that I was supposed to apply for the position at Mountain View. Um, and that might not see, seem strange to some of you, but um, it's very strange to me because uh, my sleep pattern doesn't uh, really uh, in, include waking up. 
Matter of fact, my sleep pattern is, is I often fall asleep as I am laying my head down uh, on the bed. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've been known to fall asleep on my own self as I'm talking. Um, and then I don't wake up um, in the night. I don't dream. Ask me what my dream was uh, this last week, and I, I don't know. Uh, and so I go to sleep easy. I stay sound asleep until um, either I wake up or the alarm wakes me up uh, for the next morning. And so it was very unusual for me uh, to have been awakened in the middle of the night with a very clear, very clear directive uh, to apply. And uh, so I was obedient, and I did that. Uh, and it was just a few short months later that uh, I was interviewing, and, and June 1st we were here on the ground uh, rolling, and it's been 20-some years later um, that we've been here. And God has really shown uh, some incredible things uh, in the opportunities and the ministry that's happened here. That doesn't mean we didn't go through some hard seasons, just like anybody else when you move. Uh, man, we let go of what was known. We let go of uh, good friendships and relationship. We let go of a comfortable place uh, and a good season of ministry. And we came here and there was times of loneliness and there was hardship and struggle um, and, uh, man, uh, a difficulty. But yet we get to see now on the other side of time, great fruit in our willingness to be obedient to God's call to move from where we were to where we are now. So God took us from where we were and he scattered us to a new place. And God bore great fruit uh, in that scattering. And the question for us today um, as we look into our text in the life of Philip is, can we receive the call individually and as a church to be a scattered church or will we just be a church that is scattered? See, there's a big difference between those two things. It may seem like semantics, but it is not. Are we going to be the scattered church or are we just going to be a church that is scattered? Webster defines scatter as to throw loosely about. Scattering can be random, as in I am holding something and I trip and then stuff scatters all over the floor. Or scattering can be intentional. Intentional scattering is, is what takes place when a farmer scatters seed in the field so it has space to grow, to mature, and to produce multiple folds more seed than the individual grain that was represented at the beginning. It reminds me of a parable Jesus tells in the Gospels. A parable of a farmer who goes out to sow seed and he has four different kinds of soil. And, and it doesn't remind me so much about the soil as it does the farmer. The farmer dons the bag with seed in it, and he goes out to the field that has been prepared, and he intentionally grabs handfuls of seed and, and throws it out so that it might grow free with plenty of room, plenty of sun, and plenty of water to produce more and more of what it is individually. I want us to consider this today. How can I turn this season into a time of intentional scattering? Well, I don't believe God has, has taken the world uh, and used COVID-19 to, to do things. I do believe that in the midst of this season, God is asking us to be intentional. What does it look like for me to wear the farmer's seed bag? How do I intentionally put myself in a position where I can scatter some hope, the love of Jesus, or my own faith story 
as to how Jesus has changed me. Philip gives us a great example of what it means to be part of the scattered church. So hopefully you have your Bibles, or if you want, you can look it out on the screen. Philip, uh, is, we're going inter- to be introduced to him uh, chapter 8 of the book of Acts, beginning verse 26. We're going to read through. I'm going to stop uh, from time to time, get some comment along the way to help bring to life this narrative uh, in the life of Philip. So it's not just words or a story, but, but we begin to picture what it is Philip has gone through as God asks him to be scattered. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip, rise up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. (laughs) This is a desert place. Now, in order to get a picture of this, we're going to throw a map up here, and I want you to take a look at it, and we're going to go back and remember some things. Um, Philip was introduced to us in Jerusalem as one of the first deacons waiting tables. Well, the church is scattered from Jerusalem, and Philip ends up in Samaria. And if you look up on the map towards the north, you can see Samaria. Uh, and if you look towards the Mediterranean Sea and south, you can see Gaza. And you can draw a straight line from Samaria to Gaza, and you'll go right through the fertile plain that is alongside the Mediterranean Sea. It is a straight shot from Samaria to Gaza, and there is a a pretty well-traveled path from there uh, through a beautiful place, plenty of of food, plenty of cities along the way. I want you to think of that as the I-5 corridor down the Willamette Valley. Now, if God had just said, Philip, I want you to go to Gaza, that is likely the road Philip would have taken. God knows that. So he says, Philip, no, I don't want you to take I-5. I want you to take Highway 99. I want you to go the less traveled road. The road that goes through Jerusalem. You know the place that you were just scattered from where the persecution is broken out against the church? Yeah, I want you to go down through Jerusalem. I want you to go south out into the desert. And after you traveled out uh, south along the desert, then you'll cut over on the road that goes to Gaza from there. I want you to leave the success of the gospel explosion happening in Samaria, and I want you to go out into the unknown, out into the desert place, alone where it is dangerous. Hmm. Philip says, why? For who? For what purpose? I, I don't know. It doesn't say that in the text. I guess it might have been in his mind. It would be in mine. But Philip only gets the first step. We call that progressive revelation, meaning that Philip doesn't get step one, two, and three. He just simply gets step one, go to the deserted road. And once you get there, you'll get step two. Let's go back to the text. So he rose and he went. Philip was obedient. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court of the official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all, catch that, all of her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in a chariot and reading from the prophet 
Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. Stop there. Um, Candace. Only one time that we read about Candace, so we have to know about Candace from uh, historical documents outside of the Bible. Candace is more a title than it is a, a name, like Pharaoh or like king. Um, Candace is in charge of all of Ethiopia. And this gentleman was in charge of all of her money. He was, this gentleman, was the minister of finance for the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He's the guy in charge of the gold for the country. He was a man of influence, a man of great power, a man of great wealth. And yet somehow, along the way, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, this Ethiopian man is introduced to Yahweh. How does a man hundreds of miles from Jerusalem know about Yahweh and specifically know that he goes to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple? Well, again, we have to go outside Scripture, and we know that um, much like Israelites end up in Egypt because of a famine and are there for hundreds of years. There was a scattering before the time of Jesus. And again, the Israelites take off uh, from their territory to find safety. And, and, a, and a number of Israelites, a number of Jewish folks, end up in northern Africa in Ethiopia. And it is very likely that this man is connected to and builds relationship with that Jewish community. And along the way, is, is curious about this Yahweh that they speak about. And so because he has a capacity, financial ability, freedom, he hops in a chariot, travels hundreds of miles, and goes to Jerusalem. Because even with all of those things that he has, he is still searching. So he takes vacation, and he goes to the temple to worship. And yet because of two things, his nationality and his physical condition being a eunuch, God is held at arm's length at the temple. And the one place where he is told he can connect with God, he gets there and he can't get in. He is, God is held from him at arm's length. He is not able to experience hands-on worship of God. He has to look from the outside in. Man, and I wonder, as an Ethiopian, as an outsider, what is it that he sees? We don't know. We just know he can't go in. I ask, what, what about the person who is thinking, seeking for something more today? When he or she is looking at the church from the outside, looking into your world as a believer from the outside, what is the picture that we are painting for them based upon our behavior? Well, not what we say, but, but what we do. Based upon our reactions to the world around us, do we respond like everyone else or do we respond as Jesus would respond? This man, this, this Ethiopian, has to simply look from the outside in. However, while he's there, 
he does something that only a rich man can do. He buys a book. Now, that doesn't seem very incredible to us um, as Americans because today we produce books by the hundreds of thousands, and you go down to any corner store and get a $1.99 book anytime. Um, you can go to your Amazon and, and uh, oh my goodness, fill a library with available books at the touch of a finger. But in this day and age, books were not printed that way. And certainly pieces of Scripture were not printed in that way. As a matter of fact, a scroll of a book of the Torah was a very, very, very valuable thing. Because what would happen in order to make more scrolls would be that um, a scribe would, would sit on a, on a stone bench and he would open up a book of the Torah and he would speak to 12, 15, 20 other scribes in the room and he would read a line of the scroll and they would write as he, as he read. When they got to the end of the line, they would put their pen down and he would read it again and they would make sure that it was right and there were no mistakes. There was a mistake. Um, they didn't have whiteout. Um, <laughs> somehow they would, they would have to fix the mistake. And then they go, all right, next line. He would read, they would write, he would read again, they would look, free of mistakes, onto the next line. That made scrolls of books of the Torah very limited and very expensive. But this man, though he goes to Jerusalem and he cannot touch God, he takes a piece of God's word home with him. Let's pick up the story from there. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He said, Well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, um, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or, or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the Ethiopian. And he was baptized. Reading out loud was a very common practice in that day. So the bilingual Ethiopian reads Hebrew. Catch that. The bilingual Ethiopian reads Hebrew. Um, again, uh, scrolls were very, very uncommon. It took human hands to, pr to produce another scroll. Uh, scribes were not uh, spending hours... Uh, rewriting the scroll in you know, a dozen different languages. You couldn't go to the, the corner scroll shop you know, and pick up the scroll in Chinese. Um, just didn't happen. And so this man of wealth and influence and power along the way uh, had learned Hebrew and is reading Hebrew 
Hebrew well enough that Philip, as he runs up to the chariot, understands that he's reading Hebrew from a scroll. And he's able to ask a question to him. And so what I want us to see is here, here's Philip, this, this unschooled man. Now, not unschooled in the sense that the Hebrew would think of unschooled. Philip would have gone to school, would have learned the Torah, would have memorized large portions of the Torah, but he certainly wouldn't have taken time to read and to understand and to learn another language. Certainly wouldn't have taken government class. He simply was schooled in God's Word. And as he runs up to this chariot, he sees a foreigner reading from God's Word from Philip's native tongue. I'm certain that took Philip by surprise. And he asked him, do you, do you understand what you're reading? See, God takes an ordinary man, Philip, to speak to an incredibly influential and powerful man, the Ethiopian. And he takes where he is at in the book of Isaiah, and he shares Jesus with the Ethiopian man. And he doesn't give a historical narrative of the Hebrew people. He doesn't comment on the textual nuances from Isaiah. He simply tells the story of Jesus from that point forward. And the story of Jesus moves the Ethiopian to a conclusion. Philip doesn't have to force a decision upon him. He simply tells him about Jesus and allows the truth of God's Word and the movement of the Spirit inside of the Ethiopian man to bring him into a conclusion, I need Jesus and I need to make a response to that. And they get to water and he says, I believe, will you baptize me? Man, what a cool moment. And in that day, though Philip leaves the great expansion of the kingdom going on in Samaria. God takes this ordinary man and uses him to send the gospel into Africa. Let's go back to the text. When they'd come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. He actually had found what he had come looking for. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns till he worked his way all the way up the coast to Caesarea. Because Philip is obedient, the gospel moves into Africa. Do you, you catch that? The ordinary Jewish man, Philip, speaks truth and Jesus to the powerful, influential minister of finance from Ethiopia, and the gospel moves to Africa. The Ethiopian is able to, is able to go home to the Hebrew folks that he knows and says, I... <laughs> I, I met God. Where did you meet him? At the temple? Nope, I couldn't get in there. I met God on the road back home. From a common man by the name of Philip. And not only does the Ethiopian take the gospel to Africa, Philip continues to take to the gospel other places besides Samaria. 
See, because I'm guessing, knowing my nature, man, at the end of that day when the conversation was done and, and, and Philip's done baptizing him, Philip is beelining it straight back to Samaria. Man, i got to go tell everybody about this cool moment that I just had. God says, yeah, no, Philip, rather, I, I, I want to send you to the coast, and I want to send you up the coastline. Uh, Philip doesn't, that we know of, ever get to go back to the comfort of home. He is sent on mission up the Mediterranean coast to Caesarea. Well, what does this Philip encounter mean for us today? Well, four simple things I think the Philip encounter means for us today that we can see, that, that, that I hope we can pull out of here. The first is, is we must be willing. To be the scattered church means we must be willing to leave our comfort zone. You know, just because we've named Jesus as a Savior doesn't mean always that we've relinquished control and adopted a willing spirit. The will is a very, very powerful thing. If you've had a two-year-old or a three-year-old in your house, you know the will is a very powerful thing. And God has chosen to leave our will under our own direction. And Philip had become very successful in his endeavor to serve the Lord. Back in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, uh, Tom first introduced us to Philip as one of the first deacons in the church. Well, uh, the church is driven out of... Um, Jerusalem and Philip ends up in Samaria and begins to do a great work there, doing powerful things. Uh, Christian talked about that very well last Sunday. Philip was on mission there, and, and awesome things were happening in Samaria. The word of God was spreading. The number of disciples was growing. By all human standards, a great success, a place for Philip to settle in and to, man, I'm going to make a real difference here in Samaria. And yet God had an even greater opportunity for Philip. It just happened to be on a lonely, hot desert road. And it only involved one person. Really, God? You would, you would send me away from all this good stuff going on in Samaria to talk with this one foreigner out in the desert? And God would say, yeah. I would. When the Titanic sank in April 15, 1912, more than 1,500 of the 2,200 passengers died. Perhaps the greatest tragedy is many of those people didn't have to die. A, a lot of people climbed into the 20 lifeboats that were on the ship, but many of those lifeboats were only half full, and hundreds of people were in the cold water with life preservers on. Most of them did not die from drowning. They froze to death in the frigid waters of the North Atlantic Ocean. The people in the lifeboats heard the cries of the dying people, but they chose not to go back for fear of capsizing. One lifeboat returned. Six people were rescued. Hundreds died. Those who were already safe in the lifeboat didn't go after those who were drowning and dying, freezing to death. Man, that story tells me we must ask God to break our hearts so that those of us who are already saved would go after those 
who are dying, no matter who they are or where they might lead us. Secondly, to be the scattered church, we must be led. We must be willing to go wherever God would send us, let go of our comfort. And we must be led by the Holy Spirit. To be led means that we are listening. You know, I've never heard an audible voice, even when I was awakened in the middle of the night with a very clear directive to apply um, at, at Mountain View. I didn't hear a voice. God didn't speak. But it was a very clear direction. And that continues for me today. I walk almost every morning and, and pray while I'm walking. And many mornings I begin my walk asking for some kind of guidance or, or direction and, or clarity. And, and often, by the time I'm done walking, the Spirit has given me direction, has given me clarity, has given me words to speak. Never heard audible voice, but I've certainly been clearly directed. We must listen, and the second thing is we know that the Holy Spirit will never contradict Scripture. The Holy Spirit is part of the triune Godhead. He was part of the inspiration given to the writers of the biblical text. He will not lead in contradiction to the words he penned through the biblical writers. So as you're being led, you have to know wherever he is leading, he will not lead in contradiction to Scripture. He helped to write it. Philip's obviously comfortable with the leading of the Holy Spirit, and, and we too can know the voice, the, the, the leading, the guidance of the Holy Spirit through regular connection with God and His Word and with practice listening. It means we have to stop. We have to close the noise, turn it off, take time to listen. Third, to be the scattered church, we must be obedient. We have to be willing. We have to be led. And then there's that moment where God says, okay, you're willing, you're led, here it is. We have to be obedient to the guidance and direction of the Spirit. See, we are stewards of lots of things. We are stewards of our time, our resources, and our opportunities. How is the stewarding of your opportunities reflective of your obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit? You see, there's, there's a man in the Bible who received a prompting, um, but he had a very different reaction than Philip did. Uh, this man was given a prompting uh, to go and to preach to a city he didn't like very much. And he, instead of going, he said, yeah, no, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go the opposite direction. He ended up on a ship, the ship ended up in a terrible storm, and he ended up being thrown overboard. If you haven't caught up with the story yet, the guy's name is, is Jonah. And Jonah was not obedient. As a matter of fact, Jonah was, was disobedient. And if I were just to say Jonah, most of you would remember him by his act of disobedience, not by what he ended up doing in the end. I don't want to be known by my disobedience. I don't want us as a church to be known by our disobedience. I want us to be known by our willingness, by our leading, and by our obedience. God has called us to share the gospel. That is something for us to steward, to take care of. 
He has called us to make disciples. That is something for us to steward to take care of. And if that is his calling, then I can expect that he is directing me to opportunities to engage in that calling. The question is, is am I willing? Am I listening to his leading? And when it comes, am I obedient to follow through, no matter what that is? And when, when Philip finds himself out on the road and he hears the chariot coming up, he gets step two. God says, go run to the chariot. And so again in obedience, Philip runs to the chariot. Why is he running? Well, I think he's running because as the man is reading out loud, he's in a particular point in the narrative of Isaiah. There is a scripture that God wants Philip to intersect the Ethiopian man when he is reading it so that he can explain it. When the Spirit prompts, it is because he knows there is a moment to be seized in somebody's life. And our obedience or our lack will determine whether we get to participate in a holy moment with someone, whether they know it is or not. And our hesitation, our disobedience can, can cause us to miss that holy moment with them. Philip stewards his moment well and is given the opportunity to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus right where the man is reading. And we must be ready to take someone right from where they are and lead them as far as the Spirit directs. He won't always direct us to share the gospel and to lead someone to a decision. Sometimes he will direct us just to an act of kindness. Sometimes he will direct us to a word of encouragement. Sometimes he will direct us to pray with genuineness for someone. But sometimes he will direct us to tell the story of Jesus. So to be the scattered church forth means we need to be ready to tell the story of Jesus. To tell the story of Jesus, we must start with being willing and able to talk about what we are for, not what we are against. The world has plenty of verbiage talking about what they are against. I don't want to join that. I want to talk to people about what I'm for. I want to talk about the change that Jesus made in my own life. If we go back to verses 30 and 31... There is a question. There's the question to ask. Do you understand what you are reading? We must not be afraid to approach people when the Holy Spirit leads us to them and allow the Spirit to guide us in about what to say and what to ask. Can I, can I pray for you? Can I help you? To make it about them, not about us. To engage them in their moment. It's, it's their holy moment, not ours. And it goes much better if we ask questions. Then if we give statements. Then in verses 32 and 33, there's, there's, a, there's a scripture being read. One of the things we fear is, is man, I don't, I don't know what scripture to read. What, what, what do I talk about? The scripture in that moment was perfect for the moment. And, and we must not be afraid that if God is calling us to a moment and there is a truth to be shared, God will give that to us. Now, that means that we have to have truth stored up in our mental bank so that the Holy Spirit can, can use something to draw upon. He can't just drop something into our mind out of, out of thin air. But when we have God's Word stored up in our hearts and we engage 
in a call that God's called us to, we have to trust that he will give us a, a truth, a scripture to share. Verse 34 and 35, Philip explains the truth. How will anyone know the truth about Jesus unless we tell them? The eunuch was seeking answers, and Philip was ready to give them. And Philip gets to see the eunuch become, in, in this Acts lineage here, the first of three conversions that we're going to see in Acts 8, 9, and 10. From the, from the Ethiopian, the gospel goes into Africa. Chapter 9, we're going to be introduced to a guy by the name of Saul. And he is going to be the first missionary into Asia Minor and take the gospel there. Then Acts chapter 10, we're going to meet an Italian centurion by the name of Cornelius. And he's going to take the gospel to the Greeks. Three people scatter and become the seeds to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Then at the end of our, of our text here today, Philip doesn't get to go back to his job as deacon in Jerusalem. He doesn't get to go back to the exciting expansion of the church happening in Samaria. Rather, the Spirit directs him up the coastline to Azotus and, and ultimately up to Caesarea. Maybe that's our ultimate struggle as we talk about being scattered. Comfort and control. Scattering puts us in uncomfortable places. But man, hear this. If there's nothing else you get today, I want you to catch this. God is not interested in your comfort and my comfort. He is interested in our obedience. God's not interested in our comfort. He is interested in our obedience. And scattering requires release of control. I have repeatedly heard people talk about a feeling, a loss of control during, during the COVID season. Well, rather than fighting control, ultimately, which we don't have much of anyway, how about we use this season to practice releasing control, listening for the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let the life of Philip lead us to live intentionally scattered lives under God's control and directed by the Holy Spirit. Worship team is going to sing a song in response this morning. I would encourage you to put yourself in an intentional posture right now. Wherever you are, maybe you move to your knees. Maybe you uh, lay prone, arms out on the, on the floor. If you can't do that, maybe on your couch or on your bed. Stand with your hands raised. And listen for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Maybe He's been speaking you to the message. Maybe He's going to prompt you during this response song. Sing along. Listen well. Be obedient.